When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon, and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters, and what comes next. Bite Size goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. And welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Kate Moody, Strategy Director here at 11FS. In this episode, I'm joined by a panel of my fellow Fintech Insider team to answer the most Googled questions about Fintech. We know that Fintech can at times seem confusing and complex, and that's for all of us who actually work in it day in and day out. So for those of you listening who don't work in Fintech or maybe don't even work in finance, we are going to attempt to answer some burning questions and help you all get a better understanding of what we all do. And maybe we'll learn a thing or two as well. Firstly, um, joining me today, very excited to hang out with Rachel Panjan, Venture Product Lead at LNFS. Always nice to chat, Rachel. Um, what should our listeners know about what you're working on at the moment? Um, we are actually in the middle of some customer testing for an early stage proposition, which is always my favorite bit, um, hearing like actual quotes from customers when we put some kooky ideas in front of them. Um, all good so far. So yeah, excited to hear about our, the output from our interview this morning. Yeah, exciting. Um, we're also delighted to welcome David Barton Grimley, Fintech Strategy Director here at LNFS. David, always fun to hang out. Um, what's going on in your world? Uh, you've got some exciting things in the pipeline, both professionally and personally, right? Yes, indeed. More more personally than professionally, I have to say. Um, I'm going on paternity leave next week uh, for a couple of months. This is going to be my last podcast in a while. So yes, not a fintech pipeline, definitely <laughs> a personal pipeline of sorts. <laughs> Well, massive congratulations to you and yeah, best of luck from all of us here to, to you and your your family. So good luck with that. Looking forward to having you back when when you emerge from the twin Mageddon, as I describe it. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's let's dive in. Um so we usually have full control over what we discuss on these episodes, but today we are putting all of our trust into Google. You know, disclaimer, other search engines are obviously available. Um so Perhaps it's not surprising that our first question is, what is fintech? Wrong answers only, please, David. What, what is fintech? Well, I think fintech is financial technology, Kate. I think that's what it stands for. <laughs> um, but in, in all seriousness aside, I mean, when I first started my career helping banks to innovate in around, I don't know, 2007, I think it was, um, fintech didn't exist as a term. There's no such thing as fintech. Um, and in fact, actually, to convince banks to do anything interesting and innovative in the first place, we had to take money from marketing because they thought that, you know, 
the only kind of thing you, you do online is banners and microsites and stuff like that. So the world, gosh, the world has changed completely. Um, and, and look, I think I think really fintech is one of these terms that has come up over time as a as a catch-all phrase for various different types of things that are non-standard, non-traditional, a little bit of technology, a little bit of new customer behaviors, a little bit of new distribution channels. Um, but it might, as things begin to normalize, so as like incumbents begin to use technology more, maybe it eventually goes away. I, I don't know. Maybe does fintech even need to exist as a term? When I started in my career, I thought fintechs is what you went into when you didn't want to wear a suit to go to work, um, <laughs> having started in a bank. So I feel like my answer is slightly less profound, <laughs> but a very good question at the end. Like, what is now we're all not wearing suits to work? Does fintech still exist? I don't know. I don't think I've ever worn a suit to work. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> I started um, in a bank, to be fair. So that I think that was on me rather than anything else. I mean, I guess the question that does come up quite a lot is, you know, what is the difference between like a fintech and a tech fin? David, I don't know if you've got a, a succinct yes. answer on that one. Oh, gosh, tech fin. Yeah. I feel like tech fin was a thing a few years ago and then it's just kind of gone away. So, listeners, so tech fin is where a large technology firm, so think um, Meta, think Amazon, Google, et cetera, um, launches its own financial services thing. Um, so that was, is tech fin? Yeah. I think that was pretty, pretty succinctly done. Actually, when I Googled what is a fintech, I was pretty surprised Like my third search result was actually an article from Lloyd's Banking Group called What is Fintech and Why Does It Matter? Which, you know, I thought was, was pretty nice. Interesting. So they defined it in that article is ways of making financial processes and traditional financial services more accessible using software. And then you know, fintech companies are sort of a separate thing to fintech as a sort of a, as a construct. Um, so I thought that was interesting. So again, I suppose, yeah, Rachel, from your sort of historical bank life, does that kind of surprise you? Maybe that there's kind of this divide between like fintech almost seen as like a, a an enabler or a process or something about technology versus maybe fintech as an industry or a sector as, as we might think about it. Yeah, and I, I love that Lloyd's have got that definition in there because I think even within a bank, so we were starting to see the emergence of digital and like what does digital mean and really that was the banks approaching fintech for the first time to say actually there's something fundamental about our model that needs to shift whereas the fintech companies that I started to work with were people who from the outside were like oh we actually think by being outside there's a quicker way for us to solve a problem and and most of those problems are around sh not shortcutting process but finding a quicker way to solve like you know whether you're in the mortgage journey or you're trying to just onboard to a bank and so I think there is a there is a, that internal fintech shift that we've seen with all of the banks, how their apps have changed and evolved over times and how their service models have changed and evolved over time versus how fintechs are still operating on the side, but very much working, I think, in tandem. I think often there's like this friction between banks and startups and it's like, no, like the banks are so slow and regulators and, and fintechs aren't. But like now look at Monzo, like right in the middle, started fintech, now a neobank, which is another th term we throw about, but it's all, their aim is all about solving a customer problem and it's just different approaches. And I think that both both need each other to work really well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I keep coming back to like, 
some of the early conversations I had with members of my family when I first started to work at 11FS. I remember like talking to my family, most of whom are farmers in semi-rural Scotland. And when I explained that I was going to go work in fintech, my uncle just said to me, are you the reason the banks are shutting their branches? <laughs> As yes. if like I was single-handedly, <laughs> single-handedly responsible. I don't know, do you guys have to fend off any interesting challenges from loved ones? Yes, um, just about everyone I know hasn't the faintest idea what I do. Um, and I think it's actually quite telling that, you know, the top question is what is fintech? Because, you know, people are constantly asking themselves where that boundary lies between actual financial services and something that's different. Yeah. And I also think, especially right now, people just feel like if anyone works in finance, it's like you're just a fat cat, like trying to steal money from the poor and like you're getting your nice salary and like, what is that? Like, what about people? And I think that's what um, like fintech came about because it's like, no, let's do something differently and trying to explain that actually we're trying to democratize more of that and trying to manage those, you know, questions around distribution of wealth and access to services. Like that's what fintech and also fintech within banks, to your point at the start, Kate, is trying to solve. Like we know that these systems aren't working. We're all trying to fix it together. Yeah. And actually, you know, to to your point, there has been a real convergence of things over the years. So I think fintech really did start with a software problem. You mentioned this earlier, Kate. It's It was all about software. We're going to use technology in a very interesting way to do something different. Whereas now, uh, pretty much all of the banks understand, at least understand and know what that software is, know what that tech is. Whether or not they can do anything with it is a completely <laughs> different question. A lot of them can actually now do a lot more than they used to. But actually, the point now is solving a problem in a different way for a customer or helping a customer's outcomes. And, and everybody's talking about that now, whether it's a bank or a fintech. So there is very much a convergence in language and in direction of travel now that I don't think existed, say, five, six years ago. Okay, let's move on to our question number two. Um, question number two, what are the four key areas of fintech? So Wikipedia, if you look at Wikipedia, as we all do, let's be honest, um, will tell you that the four key areas are, one, artificial intelligence, two, blockchain, slash web three, whatever you're preferred. Nomenclature is cloud computing and big data. Rachel, thoughts, feelings, violent emotions. Is this just like industry 4.0? Like, I mm. I think these are really important, but I, you to what David was just saying around where the industry is moving and now it's about customer outcomes, I think these are the means to the end. So these are some of the technical levers that we can pull, but the actual fintech services themselves are, are slightly more intelligence, more nuanced, because, you know, if you talk to customers, whether they are, you know, your B2B customers or your B2C customers, like this is kind of secondary to them. It's more around the service that you're delivering. So I think all of these things, especially big data, is super important because of the scale of information we now have. The question is how you deliver those to services. So I think very important. They are the some of the ingredients, but I think there's probably definitely a lot more around customer and consumer um, problem and how and that's like the key to success for some of the fintechs. Yeah. I mean, I like this question because four is my lucky number. And so I just appreciate <laughs> that someone has decided, the, the world has decided that there should be four key areas of fintech. So I like that. But I suppose, yeah, I, I agree. Like I'm I'm obviously biased. Like my role is to think about customers day in, day out. And so I always think about, if I was thinking about the four key areas of 
fintech, I would think about like, you know, four key customer groups. You know, we spend a lot of our time talking about, you know, the difference between the needs of like retail customers versus SME or SMB customers versus corporate customers versus institutional customers. Like those would be like four key areas of fintech that I would get out of bed for. Um, I suppose, or you could also think about maybe like four key kind of macro areas of, of financial management or areas where you could help those customers. So you spending, saving, investing, borrowing, like those again, big macros where you could sit down and have a really interesting conversation about how do you deploy some of those technologies to help those types of customers be better, more efficient, find better outcomes in those spaces. Um but yeah, that's I suppose my my customer customer nerd view. David, what's your what's your nerd view on the four key areas yeah. of fintech? I completely agree with you. Um, and actually, it's kind of interesting that it's Wikipedia that that says that, you know, these these are the four key areas of fintech, because I think these are the kind of buzzy terms that a lot of fintech businesses will be using to to sell, right? You know, they'll be telling banks, we, you know, do cloud computing, or we have big data, or, you know, everybody's saying we're all AI now. And, and you know, they're probably going to be doing the same to investors. So kudos to them, whatever they need to do to go and get the money in, right? But you know, the way I like to think about it is more in terms of those sectors um, and needs that you were talking about, Kate and Rachel, um, and also just in terms of the subsets of fintech. So I think this is another area that we probably need to talk about as well, which is, you know, okay, for fintech is a very catch-all phrase, but actually, you know, in then you've got neobanks, which are now probably just banks, you've got wealth tech, you've got embedded finance, you know, you've got all sorts of different categories that fall within fintech that I think are probably more meaningful than saying, it's the blockchain, <laughs> you know? And I, I think that's so true. I love what you said, Kate, around, you know, is it spending, is it saving? Because one space I'm really excited about in fintech is lending, which isn't, it's not one of these four categories here, but, you know, a lot of these technologies are super important for lending fintechs and lending is important for all of those four types of customers that you mentioned as well. And so I think there's like a real opportunity um, to think about it slightly differently when you think about the those life cycles, like, you know, when you're starting out, when you are just trying to keep on top of everything, when you're trying to grow or you're trying to protect your savings and then when you're trying to maintain them, like pass them on in the future, like what does that look like for all different kinds of customers? Yeah, no, absolutely. I do wonder if this question actually, yeah, your point, David, is more about like, what are the four key things that like crop up most at fintech conferences or you know, the the most likely subdividers of hiring pages on big bank websites? It feels like it's sort of skewing, skewing that direction. But I mean, there's no denying like those those four things are like the big topics at the moment, right? Like, or you know, are there is there anything? Are there any other buzz topics, David, that are missing from that or things that you're chatting to clients about regularly? Or do those are those four probably a pretty good summary? I think we probably need to make a distinction between AI and generative AI. Um, you know, they are, you know, generative AI is a subset of AI, but a lot of the more recent talk about, you know, why would a fintech be going to market saying that they do AI in a, in a very interesting or different way? Well, very often that is going to be generative. Um, so I think that is definitely what people are attracting investment dollars for these days. Interestingly, more in some ways than than blockchain. I, you know, when it comes to buzzy, buzzy hype themes, I find the interplay between AI and blockchain very, very interesting. In that now everybody's moved on to that nice big shiny thing, which is generative AI, and blockchain is sort of there somewhere and crops up every every now and then but if it doesn't have ai in the in the pitch deck then it's not going to get funding yeah 
I was actually reading an article this morning around generative AI valuation. So startups who are pitching for funding and have got generative AI. Sam Altman um, recently is pitching for some trillions of dollars worth of money, um, which I feel like in the finance banking industry, when you're starting to see someone getting valued for trillions, it feels like there could be a bubble. Um, and like, again, it's just, it's trendy to talk about generative AI. That's what people all want because it's, we're at the start of it. What does it look like? But also this is a similar position we were in for blockchain. And blockchain has really embedded now in, in a lot of senses within the financial world, but not in a mainstream sense at all. And so the question is, where does generative AI sit? The potentials are huge, but is it embedding in the next five years or the next 10 years? And should we really be spending trillions on it? I think we can leave that up to the listeners to, <laughs> to decide. Um, okay, moves on to our next question. So, how are fintechs profitable? Who wants to who wants to tackle this? And David, your fintech strategy director, go for it. Yeah. How indeed, Kate? Um, we don't know. No, no, that's absolutely not the case. So, actually, really, this has been the story of you know the last I think three years, certainly since COVID was peaking and, and coming to an end. Is probably one of the reasons why it's one of the most googled search terms, right? Because fintechs and a lot of fintechs have not been very, very profitable. And you know, there's all sorts of stats out there on the internet about you know how I think it's something like less than ten percent of all neo banks that exist in the world are profitable. Um, that lots of them go go bust um, all the time, but but actually, stats like that over the last couple of years have proven to be not necessarily so true. I mean, you know, fintechs and banks make money through various different ways. So if you're a software as a service company selling your service to the bank, you are making fees. You're selling you know your software for a fee. And actually, there's lots of really fantastic SaaS-based businesses out there who add a hell of a lot of value all, all over the shop. And then, you know, if you are lending or, you know, if you're trying to be a bank, well, guess what? You make money out of out of lending. You, you know, you make money out of taking and giving deposits, just like how a bank does. So there's lots and lots of ways for a fintech to be profitable. But I think the point is that up until very recently, investments and valuations were not necessarily so so much based on profitability and more based on market cap, more based on, you know, a, a bright, bold future of, you know, boundless big data. It's another wonderful, you know, <laughs> buzzword. And and I think that's now changed a lot. Yeah. When you think about like how all the bank set up is they were people in villages and towns who had relationships who people would give their money to to help them manage to manage the estate and then they would obviously support with loans and and that's how banks started and so for banks to be profitable the the first metric or the first thing they were trying to do is maintain the relationship with the customer and so all these fintechs now coming onto the scene they don't have that relationship with customers and they almost have to prove that relationship for customers whether their customers are banks or if merchants or or like just people like us, us three. And so the difficulty that fintechs have in getting profitable is being able to, to prove that to all of the people that they're trying to prove it to. And so actually profitability isn't, isn't the first thing that they should always necessarily look at because the first thing is, you know, am I doing the thing I said I was going to do? Am I driving the value that I said I was going to deliver? And that's expensive because big data, blockchain, AI, like all of those things are super pricey. So for them to be able to build, they need to be able to show off like, hey, I used this generative AI thing, which is super expensive, but here's a value piece. And that's when that's when you can start to look at profitability. But it's a, it's a long, long path for fintechs, especially now, because 
a lot has been done and trying to find new and novel ways to actually reach the consumer is harder, not just because we're in a saturated market, but just because the bar is so much higher from from a regulatory perspective, but also from like a customer perspective. I can't just rock out with like a a coral-ish card anymore and be like, cool, top it up, isn't that fun? Like it's been done. What what more do consumers really need that isn't noise in this environment? Yeah, no, 100% agree with that. I suppose I find it interesting like how this question is phrased, like how are fintechs profitable? Whereas I wonder if maybe we'd done this episode, I know like two, three years ago, I mean, maybe we did and I've just forgotten. Um, it might have been more like, can fintechs be profitable? And I do think we have seen that sort of industry shift that, you know, as as David said, like, you know, we have seen a ton of like hugely promising fintechs kind of go under, sadly, or kind of not manage to get to that kind of product market fit or to kind of scale effectively. But we have also seen a ton, you know, prove out those business models, start to really kind of introduce those traditional financial products that we don't we know know can drive revenue but just within a completely different customer context with an entirely different like user experience to kind of bring all these things together and to to kind of create a fundamentally different outcome for the customer so yeah I suppose I, I like the fact that this question exists in the frame that it exists I don't know again obviously Rachel you start off in a bank like was the conversation about fintechs when you started different to kind of the conversations we hear when we chat to clients now yeah, so back in, I think it was like 2017, 2018, we were starting to think about open banking and, you know, in theory, it was going to democratize where people's balances were. But at the time as a bank, we were like, Monzo is interesting, but no one's actually going to switch their primary account over to Monzo. Now we're starting to see that that is the case. Like even I bank with Monzo, there, there is a perception that these fintechs are safer because that's how regulation has stepped in to support them. And I think that's that's another reason why we're talking about how fintechs are profitable and not why. Like regulation has been there to ensure that when fintechs are getting much bigger, they are doing it in the right way, in a way that means that customers and consumers can interact with their services better. There is still that gap though, because while some people would bank with Monzo, people who have grown up with them, who understand how it works, like I'm I'm super open to it. Other people are less convinced by them. I'm I'm trying to work out if that's just gener- a generational thing or if it's an actual perception about finances. Cause I like we were working finance and fintech and we're more open to trying these services. I don't know if some of my friends who are literally zero percent interested in banking would be like yeah sure I'll just try that card for the fun of it because that's what Monzo bank on they bank on you thinking they're a little bit fun Barclays don't Barclays are like we're safe yeah I feel like we could talk about this one for a long time but we're going to take a quick pause here and we'll come back soon to answer some more of the internet's questions about fintech we'll share who the biggest fintechs are and maybe how to get a job with them don't go anywhere Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters and what comes next. Bite Size goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.
Welcome back to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm joined by my merry band of fellow Fintech Insider hosts to answer the most search for questions about fintech. Now, our next question is something I often ask myself, maybe Rachel David you do too. So nice to know that I'm not alone. Why is fintech difficult? David. Yeah, I also kind of wonder who is asking these questions as well, right? Because <laughs> I, I agree with you, I do often ask myself this question, in fact, daily. Um, but imagine Googling this question. I feel like um, just as you went to break, Kate, you mentioned maybe get a job with it. I, I kind of wonder whether some of these terms are for people wanting to enter the fintech industry or maybe it's a consultant putting together a pitch deck. <laughs> um, but I think the very simple question, from, uh, the very simple answer to that question from my perspective, why is fintech difficult, is well, it's a regulated industry, right? Um, and it is increasingly regulated as the discussion um, just now was, was talking about. And that means that as a business, you have a duty of care to your customers, you've got a duty of care to report to the regulator, and, 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 and that differs very much from how startup land actually works, right? Startup land is move fast and break things, done as better than perfect, um, you know, pivot and iterate, um, you know, don't, don't really worry so much about the customer outcome, just do whatever you need to do to grow. And literally everything that I just said is completely antithetical to being a regulated firm. Um, so it means that, you know, the upfront investment that you need to make and the operational cost that you have is just going to be so much more um, than in a lot of other industries. Yeah, I definitely feel like when I think about some of the startups we've worked with and how they're trying to build their business model, like the threshold for the customer growth that they have to to achieve in their first year and their second year. But also, you know, you're making assumptions because if you're a startup, you don't have the time to spend lots of time on research. When you do spend lots of time on research, the markets move too quickly. And so I think it's difficult because the burden of proof is so high on these fintechs to to get to market, to get investment from all these big players, or even to, if you wanted to partner with a bank, or if you wanted to, you know, be B2B and, and appeal to some large corporates, you really need to demonstrate a growth trajectory that is so difficult, I think, in this age to do, because everyone will just be like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll get loads of customer engagement, like, oh, we'll acquisition, like, 3,000 customers month on month. But how can you actually guarantee that? Because, you know, once you start down that train, that's your livelihood. Like founders are putting their livelihood on the line to be like, yes, I really believe in this idea or that so much so I'm going to forego all secure income and go for this job. It is, I think there's the regulatory element, but also just the the grit that it takes to get something across the line. Like it's hard and we've had a really hard few years already. It's, I think it's a, it's incredible that we see, still see so many founders out there really willing to give it a go because it's not, it's not an easy job at all. Absolutely. And I suppose the, the thing that comes to my mind when I see this question is, I think fintech is really difficult because like just financial services as a space is just filled with so much customer apathy and so much customer inertia as well. So you can have the an amazing product. You can have really done your due diligence about making sure that is like completely set up to abide by the regulations in your market. You can do some great testing and still like you've got to go out there and persuade customers to make a change and to adopt something and to do something different. And we know that that's so, you know, it's just so much harder in financial services and than many other sectors. I know like, you know, 
I've personally worked in, in other sectors prior to working in banking. You know, it is just a completely different customer space. Um, we see customers just like talking about their finances less. Like it's a difficult thing for people to talk about. It's very rare for you to sit down with your friends, as we were sort of alluding to earlier, and be like, you know, tell me about a great financial app you've used recently, or you know, what are you finding difficult with your money, or like what could help you. Um, those kinds of conversations are, are difficult, and so yeah, I think fintech is difficult for many, many reasons. But I think the customer apathy or the customer inertia means you've got to have something even more amazing in order to have that kind of cut through that customer acquisition that you were talking about, Rachel. So yeah, I feel like as a lead up into the questions about maybe like how to get a job in fintech, this doesn't feel like the best advertisement, right? Like, <laughs> um, but it's, I think it's almost exactly that point is why it's so rewarding. Like fintech and health tech have the most impact on customers. Like I think that's why I'm in the industry. I feel like that's why like a lot of people at our company are in it because you people are having a really tough time and with their finances, their health, and it's the thing that causes them the most worry. So imagine if you could unlock an outcome, and I think that's a huge motivator and like a, a big benefit. Like how good does it feel when we see someone go live with a product that we told them like, hey, you know, we did the research, we heard it from customers, and then they put it out in the market. Like that's the best feeling in the world. And so I think there's, it's the the biggest risk with the biggest reward. Like, yes, it's a, it's a scary place. It's a difficult place to work, but also like, when you do nail it, like it's just so much sweeter for all of the work that went into it. David, would you echo that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and everything that was just said, you know, banks always think that, you know, customers care about um, their products more than they actually do. Um, and so, but my gosh, is it rewarding when you get it right? Okay, let's move on to our next question. So, who are the biggest fintechs? Rachel, who are the biggest fintechs? See, I... I just always go to like the Revoluts and Wises, which is like the obvious one. And I, I think for me, what I'm more interested in is the tech fins because they are like really shaking up the market. Like what watching what Apple do, um, both from like a physical product perspective, but also from like a sneaky banking perspective. Like they've just, you know, you've got your Apple, you've got your wallet, you aggregate all your accounts into your Apple account. Like I think it's starting to be more interesting. But particularly for me, I... I'm most interested in some lending fintechs and some sustainability-led fintechs. So um, particularly, I've been looking at one called Superfy who are launching to help people manage their debt. I really love that because there's just such a crunch on people right now. And I think debt is such a scary word and, th and they manage that really in a really nice way. Um, from a sustainability perspective, I saw, I think it's Twig who recently rolled back, which is a sh real shame, but more fintechs playing in the circular economy. I'd, I'd love to see more of that because one it's good for the planet but two it's also good for your wallet like trying to find a more sustainable approach to keep things going so those aren't the biggest but the, I think they're the niches that are really interesting for me at least. David who, who do you have in your mind is it Revolut and Wise or other people that you look at? You're right. It's always so easy just to come back to um, revolution-wise, isn't it? <laughs> um, but you know, of of course, you've got um, you know companies like Stripe, uh, for example, who I guess is a payment company. Again, this is this is the difference between you know what what do we what do we mean when we say fintech? I mean, I think Stripe is almost definitely a fintech, but it is also a payments company. Um, 
Some of the examples that I, I love, I mean, I tend to geek out a lot on, on embedded finance. And so like a tech fin example might be Shopify. So, you know, Shopify is not a fintech, but they offer a credit product for the businesses that sit inside um, their ecosystem. You know, you've got software companies like Flexport, for example, doing capital for um, trade finance and supply chains, which is ex extremely interesting. So I, I think, you know, for people who were Googling this term, I think it's probably more interesting back to the points you were making earlier on in the podcast about trying to figure out, well, in what sector are you talking about? Because there will be fintechs in, in each sector and also fintechs that are software as a service fintechs, which are doing really well. And, you know, just on that, you've got lots of open banking um, type companies out there, which are very, very cool. You know, you've got Plaid in the US, as an example. Um, there's so many. So, so, so many. I mean, I guess also the thing that you know, would encourage listeners to do, and obviously we try to be global in this show like obviously we do skew a bit more towards some markets more than others but you know, it's worth definitely looking outside western markets you know look at Newbank, look at alipay look at paytm like in india like you know, some of these other markets have just incredible success stories of, of fintechs that you know have have overcome some of those obstacles that you were talking about rachel about you know customer acquisition going to scale um all those things so yeah just tons and tons of big big fintechs but also like definitely keep an eye out for the newbies as well because those are the ones which are going after the I suppose especially now given the maturity of fintech as a space like the people that are new entrants now are really doing cool stuff because they're solving the problems that other people left on the left on the table because they thought they were too hard or they hadn't worked out how to solve for them yet um so actually the people that are coming in now are doing like Superfy are doing really really cool stuff so definitely definitely watch out for that one okay we've got two more questions left so Let's 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 rattle through them. So, penultimate question: How can you ace a fintech interview? David, any tips? I am like not the right person for this question, <laughs> and, and I tell you why. Because you know, I've always kind of done this, if that makes any sense. You know, since I was more All or less right. twenty-one. All right. <laughs> oh, gee. Um, so I've never actually had to interview for a for a fintech type role, if that makes sense. But you know, I I think. You've got to be having that combination. It goes back to what fintech actually is, right? You've got to be having that combination between finance and technology. So you, I think you have to understand how startups work, how to move fast, how to ship tech, how to build code, whilst also at the same time really understanding finance and understanding you know, if this business is going to be profitable, it needs to be in the financial services industry. And so understanding how, how that works and how they make money and how they make profits is critical. I definitely almost to what we were saying around how startups get valued. I definitely found as I was like a graduate and started, you know, when I was in my graduate role with thinking about how to roll off, the biggest thing that's important is demonstrating your effort and impact. So when you talk about the things that you've done, it's not just like, hey, I, I did this thing. It's about you spotted a problem that no one else spotted before or everyone, you know, like you said, Kate, people have tried to fix it and they couldn't and you went for it and you did, showed grit, but you also then showed like a really methodical approach to it. I think that's definitely really important in your, you know, in the early stages of a career where you don't necessarily have all the experience, you haven't been working in the field for like lots of years. That's a really nice way to say, well, actually, this is what I do. I problem solve and I problem solve for things that have really good opportunities and I pick those problems well. I think that's that's what fintechs are looking for because that's what they're doing. So you obviously, you know, play around with like web flow and like mess around with design and technology and, you know, talk to people about the problems that they have in finance, like really understand the space, but also like bring in that problem solving mindset because that's 
any job you have in a fintech, even if you have a specialty, really you're just problem solving in different parts of the the product lifecycle. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I would definitely sort of echo, maybe just make sure if you're not already doing so, then just get out there and actually start to use some of these products yourself. Like, you know, sign up. It's so easy to onboard. You know, that's one of, one of the main changes we've seen. It's so easy to just sign up on your phone, like start using some of these platforms, start to kind of really immerse yourself in them if, if you've not already done so. Um, I suppose I'm not sure it's like directly relevant to this particular question, but we have seen, we are starting to see more people making that transition from financial, more traditional incumbent financial institutions into the fintech space. You know, some really senior roles, actually. I'm really, I would love to have been a fly on the wall for some of those interviews when you see people moving from like a big bank into a into a fintech. I think it's really be really interesting to see, yeah, what what the fintechs are kind of trying to learn from those from those executives. You know, when people have moved from. You know, Bank of England, even you know, even into 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 fintech startups. I think it'll be really cool. I don't have an answer, but I'm just being nosy as per usual. Okay, our final final question. So, as part of our research, we also, rather embarrassingly, I suppose, um, googled ourselves. Don't judge; you've all done it. Um, and so, our final <laughs> question is: What does Eleven FS do? And does anyone know? Rachel, do you know what we do? What do we do? Um, we solve really gnarly problems. Um, to drive some really cool outcomes with all of the big banks, fintechs, and startups all over the world. That's why I like to tell people we do anyway. David, Nailed please confirm. It. Nailed it. <laughs> that is exactly what we do, Rachel. Thank you. I've not, I've not, I'm not sure. When I typed it into Google, the word gnarly wasn't actually in the official result. But omitted. <laughs> yeah, we next, need to update our SEO. Put gnarly in there. Gnarly. I like it. I like it. Next generation propositions for challenges in the financial services industry, apparently. Okay. Um, I think something we all got asked quite a lot is, you know, what does the 11 in 11FS mean? David, you got a, a brief explainer for people? Yeah, before I started uh, at 11FS a couple of years ago, I also thought it like meant something. I thought there were like 11 <laughs> people who sat at the heart of everything that is fintech. Um, and whilst we do, absolutely do, I don't think there were 11 people. Um, I th uh, my understanding is that 11, it was just an idea. So why don't we call it 11FS? It sounds good. Let's go. One more than 10. Am I right? <laughs> I hope I'm right. I've been told this story so many times and I go feel on, like Kate. I really should know it. And I, I something to do with Spinal Tap, I was told. There's some I've not seen Spinal Tap, which I realize is I embarrassing. I don't know what Spinal Tap is. Oh, Rachel. It's a film. So it is a film, right? It's a film. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's a film. So you have okay. to check. You don't know either. I don't. I don't really. Definitely know. Google that. We yeah. seem to be failing at this question. Maybe the listeners can write in and tell us. <laughs> yeah, it's something to do with yeah, like it was like a dial on an amp that turns up to eleven. Up to eleven. I guess yes. that's that's it. Yeah, the ambition is yeah to try and you know, as Rachel says, like support and and challenge the industry to kind of just keep evolving and getting better and and, and moving forward. So, um. I guess yeah. If people people if people do want to find out what Eleven FS is and tell us, um, where should they look, David? Check out a YouTube channel. Listen to this podcast. I mean, you absolutely do need to be listening to this podcast uh, for sure. Connect with us on LinkedIn. We're also on TikTok. We're very cool and modern. Um, but uh, you know, I think I think the thing with us is that we do publish a hell of a lot of content. So also check out our website, our blog posts um, are really fantastic. We have a lot of research reports which go out. Um, so we had recently the commercial banking report, which is which is very very cool. We've had one on home buying recently. We've done I think three on embedded finance and banking as a service. So please do please do go and um, 
check those out. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think as we, we've we've skimmed, I guess, somewhat jovially over some of these questions. But as you say, we we spent a ton of time and put a ton of thought into creating that content to try and sort of help people you know, assess these problems and think about what solutions could look like. So yeah, absolutely, would also endorse that. Um, that wraps up today's discussion. Thanks so much for for joining me, hanging out. Um, where can people find out more about you, Rachel? Um, here at Lavin FS or on LinkedIn, Amrita Rachel Pandian. Awesome. David, I mean, is it worth it? You're going to be disappearing anyway, but no, in all seriousness. <laughs> yeah. Leave him alone. He's got children to raise. <laughs> many children. Too many children. Um, yes, also LinkedIn, but definitely not for a couple of months um, at David BG. Awesome. Uh, and you can find me also on LinkedIn, Kate Moody or Kate at LearnFest.com. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or Gnarly by the sounds of it um, or email podcast at LearnFest.com. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters and what comes next. Bite Size goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.